Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. All right, well, let's read from the scripture. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize what's wrong with our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what's right. It's God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. The word is life. And uh, so if you have your Bible, your Bible app, please open it to Judges, Judges chapter 6. And um, interesting, this is not so much a, a story about a specific person yet, we're going to get into that next week. This is kind of a little, um, I guess, introduction uh, in a way to uh, to what was going on in whole. We've seen several times now where, where the Israelites, they didn't do what God wanted them to do. They became oppressed by some other country, some other bad king, and they cry out to God. God provides relief through a judge, and then it goes all over again, right? And so this is one of those in-between statements and, uh, and, and it gets at the question, um, that we've all experienced, I'm sure we have, of repeat sin. Right? Uh, we, we've all regretted doing something wrong. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to Him, and you find yourself sinning. Doing something that goes directly against what God's Word says. You know it, and, uh, you repent, right? Uh, or do you? Um, because we wind up going back to that. Anybody besides me gone back to a sin that you said, I'm so sorry, you know, please forgive me again and again. And, and we keep revisiting and we, and, and we wonder, why do we go back to that? Well, this is what the passage is talking about. Um, and so we're going to dig in here today. And I think basically we're going to see a couple of things. One is that it really sometimes is more about being sorry because of the consequences that we experience because of some sin in our life. We revisit that sin and then we feel guilty again, or it has some impact on our life that is sometimes severe. And so we say, oh, I, I've got to stop doing that. And it's not so much that we really are repenting, but we're regretting, right? We're regretting the fact that it happened again. But the consequences are, I guess, maybe not severe enough to make us actually stop and we go back, right? Uh, Another thing is that this regret, this regret is actually centered on our own self, our own loss, our own embarrassment, our own, um, I guess, we, we feel bad for us. And we're not really focused on the right thing when it comes to true repentance. 
So look at verse 1 here. Here it is again, and again, we're going to see this over and over. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight again. Again, a common theme, right? Well, then we have to focus and say, is there some specific sin that that I seem to revisit again and again and again? The Israelites, they just couldn't seem to help themselves, right? That's what it seems like. It's like, come on, guys, get it here, you know? God provides relief. He, 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 he provides a rescue from, from the oppressors that, that uh, are over you, and yet you still keep seem to coming back to these things. But you see, what we have to realize for ourselves as well is that to the Israelites, God was all about getting what they wanted from a deity. And in those days, as it is today, um, it was about them getting the resources they wanted. They wanted good weather for their crops. They wanted good, um, uh, what, money. They want good sex. They want all these good things in their life. And so their culture said there are ways to get those things. And we have a God for every one of them, Right? And a temple to go to to make a sacrifice or to give some money to or whatever. So that you get what you want from this deity. And we have to be careful, even as Christians, that we don't fall into that same trap. That we treat God like a candy dispenser. You know, we put in the right thing, whatever that thing might be, and we get back what we want for ourselves that the relationship with deity is more transactional than it is relational. We want this relationship with God to provide certain things for us. And, of course, we see that the Israelites, they suffered the consequences of having this wrong view of deity, of God. So we go on here in verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. It says, So the Lord handed them over... To the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, the caves, and the strongholds. Uh, wherever, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in their land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, donkeys, these enemy hordes uh, coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Wow, what a picture. I mean, basically, they, they, these people came in and they economically ruined the place. Now, keep in mind that the land of Canaan was this land that what? It was flowing with milk and honey. And it, and it, I mean, when they first made it there, they were just amazed by the size and the, and the amount of the crops that were available. It was a lush land. And this was the land that God was giving them as an inheritance for them and their future. And the Midianites came in and they literally, like locusts, stripped it bare. Wow. Wow. Well, um, 
they cry out for help then. It says, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Now, why did they cry out to the Lord for help? They had trouble. They were economically ruined. They were starving to death. So what are they doing? They're crying out to their God for their themselves, their physical relief, right? So we keep that in mind. They cried out for help from the consequences of their sin while not repenting of their sin. They were crying out for help, but notice they don't say anything about their own sin. They just want help, period. You see, people want relief from the consequences of, hmm, let's see, of overspending. And yet they don't want to stop buying. Right? I, I, I don't have enough money to pay my rent, but I'm not willing to stop buying coffee every day at five fifty a shot. I mean, there's some practical things here, right, for us today. I mean, let's face it. You know, you go on Amazon and you can get it cheaper, right? Do you need it? Well, maybe not, but it's cheaper. So I'm going to buy it anyway, right? And so we do that. We want relief from overspending, but we still like to spend. People want relief from the consequences of overeating. But do we stop eating? Right? I mean, you put ice cream in my freezer, I'm going to eat it. Right? And it was on sale last week, so I got two half gallons, right? Okay. See where I'm going with this? You see, we, we, we want our stuff, but then we get upset because that stuff causes us problems, whether it be lack of funds or physical health problems or whatever it might be. Um, people want relief from the consequences of their addictions, and yet they're addicted. They still keep on pursuing those things. They, they keep revisiting us. Now, what's very interesting is that um, this has to do more with regret than it does with real repentance. Because repentance is a, is a turning around. It's headed in the opposite direction. It means instead of continuing to do these things, I recognize that they are wrong, and I turn myself, and I start going in the other direction, and I abandon these things in favor of the right things. Okay? And so the Israelites find themselves in a quandary because they, they, they know that their, their sin leads to consequences and they want to cry out to God and they, we see this over and over again in, in Judges. They cry out to God for what? Relief. Relief from the oppression. Relief from the consequences. But as soon as the consequences are gone, what happens? They go right back to doing it again. Okay? And this is a very common theme. Uh, it's, It's very, very contemporary. And so God's response is an interesting response. Now, now watch this. Verse seven. 
When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sends a prophet to the Israelites. And he said, here it is. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God, but you must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. And here it is, underline it. But you haven't listened to me. He says, I gave you relief from slavery. I gave you relief from the oppressors. I I, I brought you out of slavery and I gave you a beautiful land to live in. And I told you what to do, but you didn't listen to me. So what what is God saying to them? He's saying, listen, I wanted to rescue you, but I want you more than anything to hear me, to listen to me. It's it's pushing them into what? A relationship with their God. He wants to talk and he he wants them to hear what he has to say. Not just provide relief from consequences of sin. He wants to, to, to make it, restore it back to what it was originally intended to be. He wants to come down and he wants to walk with them and he wants to talk with them. And what would God say? It's not just don't do this, don't do that. It's enjoy what I provide for you in the context of how I want you to use that land. How I want you to live in relationship, not just with God, but with each other. You see, God wants to speak to people. He wants to speak to you, but he wants you to listen. Not not listen because he's going to wrap you, but to listen because he has something wonderful for you that is so much better than just treating God like a dispenser. Okay? It's about relationship. And so he says, but you haven't listened to me. So so God doesn't just step in and rescue them again from their consequences. God wants them to understand why they need rescuing. Because we are prone to putting ourselves first. Instead of putting God first. Letting God be God instead of being somebody that we can control, right? And and so there, there is a point where God is saying, I want people to truly repent and not just regret the consequences of not listening to God, okay? Um, it's interesting here, this... Uh, the sin actually is a distraction that leads us to think that crying out to God is relating to God when it's really not. It's just a way, again, of using God for our own comfort. 
And so God says here uh, in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 10, it's very interesting. It says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. Okay? But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Now, Kim, Tim Keller has something very interesting to say about this passage. He says, regret and repentance are both characterized by deep sorrow and distress, but they're completely different. He says, worldly sorrow does not produce any real change, but repentance does. Why? He says, regret is sorrow over the consequences of a sin, but not over the sin itself. If there had been no consequences, there wouldn't have been any sorrow. There's no sorrow over the sin for it is in itself, for what it is in itself, for how it grieves God and it violates our relationship with Him. You see, what he's saying here is that the real issue with sin is that it breaks a relationship with the one who loves us the most. That's what God wants us to know is that when we engage in activity that is so self-centered, so, so, so focused on ourselves and our own pleasures, and our, you know, that we're free of life's consequences, it, it gets in the way of just being with God and allowing Him to love us the way He wants us to know He does love us. So the key idea here is that regret focuses on how things have affected us and really isn't concerned about how it's affected our relationship with God. Okay? That we get so hyper-focused on what we want from God that we've, we don't really want God. Fine line, Right? You know, also worldly sorrow stays regretful. This is very interesting. Um, I, I find this fascinating because when when you regret doing something, you keep regretting it. It, it, it has a grip on you. you. You feel bad for yourself and it continues and you, you feel bad for your reputation if someone finds out you did something wrong. It, it, it's all still about self and there's this... There, there, you get absorbed in the regret. And how many of us have regretted something that we've done for so many years and we haven't been able to release that regret, right? And yet, true repentance, the regret leaves. Why? Because you know that it's forgiven. It's forgiven. So true repentance actually leads to letting go of that self-guilt, of beating yourself up time and time and time again because you are now forgiven by God. You are forgiven by others and you can enjoy this new life, this new freedom that you have where you're not shackled by the regret. You see, regret is all about us, how we feel hurt, how our life is ruined for the moment. But repentance is all about God. Okay, it, it turns the attention back to God, who is amazing, who is awesome, who is great, 
who has, has gone to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, so we don't have to regret that anymore. Our regret turns to awe-inspired love for all that God has done for us. And so it draws us closer and closer and closer to God. And it gives us a, a platform, if you will, to not focus on ourselves anymore, but to, but to shift that focus on a God who is loving and compassionate and full of grace and forgiveness. So you can actually tell somebody about your sin and be happy about it. You're not embarrassed. You don't care about that. Why? Because you have been forgiven. And people's attention is no longer on you. It's now on God. And they can say, wow, that is what God is. He's not the one who takes his thumb and presses down on you and, and condemns you and tells you how awful you are. No, just the opposite. Is that our sin becomes this, this place where God is glorified. And this is why in the Bible we see so many times that the heroes of the Bible are awful people. And they're okay with that. Because God rescued them from themselves. Their own self-absorption. All the things that they wanted for themselves and their own control. You see, these people were able to say, that's who I was. And isn't it amazing that God who made me loves me enough to not just rescue me from the consequences of my past, my sin, but restores me to a right place of relationship with the Almighty God. And he forgives and he forgets and remembers that no more he chooses not to act with judgment. Instead, he chooses to act by saying, you are loved. I've paid the penalty for that sin and I have open arms and I want to have a relationship with you that I intended to have in the first place. Isn't that amazing? I mean, don't, don't you feel good when you... I mean, we all love a great testimony, right? Well, who's the attention on in that testimony that was so great? On the person? No, it's on God. And that's what God wants us to know, is that there's a difference, a big difference between just regretting and wallowing in our, our, our bad past and how, how, how you know unworthy we are. I mean, I, I used to think that, that song that we sang when I was a kid, as such a worm as I, you know. Uh, I don't know what the name of the hymn is. Maybe we'll sing it at the hymn sing today, right? But, you know, you just think, oh, yeah, I'm a worm. And that's how I felt for so many years, you know. I'm, oh. And yet God says, no, you're not. You are a child of God. And God loved you so much that he gave his only son to die, to pay the penalty for those sins that are now gone. And that gives us the motivation to be drawn into a relationship with God so we don't have to regret anymore, but we can truly repent and be freed from those things. So how do we tell if we're just regretful or truly repentant? Um, Well, we we need to, to check what we're sorry about. 
Are we sorry about the consequences that we're experiencing because of our sin? Or are we sorry because we're missing out on a love relationship with God? And I think this is why so many people who have said the prayer and accepted Jesus into their life, um, they, they walk away or they are frustrated in their life and they, they think that their whole life is supposed to be about continuing to, oh man, I got to keep that sin away, sin away, sin away, sin away. And they're so focused on not sinning, right? That that's all they think about is sinning. Instead of realizing that what God really wants is that he wants you to feel loved. And that's why he's, he gives us the church as a place where there's supposed to be unity and forgiveness and acceptance for those that, yeah, are sinners. How open are our doors to people that aren't like us, that aren't yet perfect, that don't live the same kind of lifestyle that we live? Are we condemning? Are we judgmental? Or are we the people of God that open our arms and say, yes, you're welcome here? Because I want to show you how much God loves you. And they'll get it. And, and that movie, I think, if you go to that movie, you're going to see that that is... People are coming, not because they're, they're responding to a hellfire damnation sermon. They're coming because they say... You belong here. And if you come, you're going to be hugged and you're going to be loved. Okay? And they came in droves. And that's still why people come to Jesus. They want to feel love from God. And that only happens through us. So, how does Israel respond? Do they respond by repenting? No. No, they don't. They don't. There's no sign of it. There's no record that the people had any heartfelt repentance. They just wanted relief from their oppressors. Okay? Now, what's really interesting here, and I think this is, this is so cool, so cool, is that in spite of Israel's continued sin and unwillingness to repent, God raises up a judge to deliver them. Okay, um, it says something amazing about the nature of God. That even though they cry out for the wrong reasons, he doesn't wait for them to repent before he sets the groundwork in place for their salvation. Ex- example for us, Romans 5.8 says this. You, you know this verse. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. See, God had it in his mind, this plan of salvation, before we repented. Right? And so we see here uh, kind of a a little glimpse of the future in in Judges. Um, God begins the work of salvation for the nation of Israel, provides, puts grace in place before they truly repent. And he does it time and time and time again. Verse 11 here then in in chapter 6 says this. Then the angel of the Lord came and he appeared to Gideon and he said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now we'll get into Gideon next week, right? But here's the point, the main point. God 
loves you so much that he provides a method of salvation, getting you ready for true repentance, right? Before you repent. It's there. And and so it's in place. God has everything in place for us to be restored to relationship with him. He didn't wait for us to repent before he responds. And so he goes to the cross and he says, I'm, I'm going to make it possible for anyone and everyone that wants to, to come back into relationship with me. So I can talk and they can listen and they can talk and I can listen. But I think God is hoping, 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 hoping that we all understand that the reason that he provided salvation for us is not that we are freed from the consequences of our sin. Jesus took the consequences of our sin and he basically just wants you to enjoy the love that he wants to pour out onto you. Okay? Just knowing that, being with God and being embraced by him being loved by him is the motivation. And then these things that we do that are wrong, that are so self-centered, they kind of fall by the wayside. Just one by one, they'll go away. Because your focus is on God. Okay? All right, let's pray. God, thank you um, for loving us so much. Uh, it, it's just hard to get past. Um, we see it in Scripture time and time again how you want us to know how much we are loved. And God, forgive us again for thinking that that this is about um, living that perfect life uh, so that we make you happy, uh, so you won't punish us. Um, Lord, um, once again, we throw ourselves on your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you've already set up a, a way for us to be restored to relationship with you. I pray, Lord, for anyone here that, that, that feels that struggle with revisiting sin again and again and again, that they would, that they would just, again, be, have their eyes open to the fact that, that that sin has been paid for and they don't need to deal in that anymore, that they can just feel forgiven, totally forgiven and loved by you. Um, so God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for, for how you embrace us and want the best for us. And that means to know that we are loved by you and that we can love one another openly and freely and forgive one another for the things that we've done uh, because you've forgiven us. Lord, may that be a reality for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.